I'm Kathy Bird with the Fresh Art International Show on Jolt Radio. We're thrilled to have you join us for this broadcast from Miami, Florida. Our contemporary art talk show grows from a podcast I've been producing since 2011. And if you visit freshartinternational.com, you can listen to conversations with more than 100 amazing artists, curators, architects, and filmmakers. Today's show is about the role of experimentation and activism in sustaining both environmental and cultural communities. You might say that the artist Robert Rauschenberg inspired all the conversations you're about to hear. Robert was an American painter, graphic artist, and social activist who lived from 1925 to 2008. His experimental approach to art opened up ways for many artists to explore their media, and his activism led him to preserve land on Captiva, an island just off the coast of Florida. This recent Fresh Art International podcast episode will introduce you to the enduring mark that Robert made on Florida. I'm Kathy Bird. Welcome to the Fresh Art International podcast. I recorded the voices you're about to hear at the Robert Rauschenberg Residency on the island of Captiva, just off the west coast of Florida. For years, legendary contemporary artist Robert Rauschenberg called this barrier island home. Following his death, a foundation turned his property into an artist's residency. The land cuts across the width of the island, stretching between Pine Island Sound and the Gulf of Mexico. Manatees, mangroves, and osprey, palm trees and shaggy pines, the sun, the moon, and the sea. When you're surrounded by all this natural beauty, you might forget that Captiva is a coastal environment endangered by sea level rise. On a sweltering hot summer day, I drive from Miami to Captiva to meet artists, writers, and scientists who aren't ignoring this threat. They're here for a special residency known as the Rising Water Confab, a month-long program exploring the topic of climate change. Amy Balkan, an artist based in San Francisco, has been here for a few weeks. She's inviting contributions to what she calls the People's Archive of Sinking and Melting. The main structure of the archive is that I can't actually put anything in the archive. The archive is made entirely of contributions, which is one reason that it's a slow process. There's a sort of framework around the contributions, which is that I'm asking people who live in a place that they decide will disappear and become uninhabitable owing to the impacts of climate change to contribute something from where they live. When I say sinking, I don't necessarily mean things going down under storm surge, but really the fact that perhaps the water may come up and that could be in a tidal event or that could just be glacial melting, more generally related to sea level rise in the longer term. Contribution can be anything. It doesn't have to be something of cultural value. Some of the things that we've received have included garbage, like broken Verizon phone charger, instant noodle packaging. I think people might not automatically think of this project as hopeful, but I hear in the way you describe it that, in fact, it is. I would say it's a mixed picture, much like climate change and its political economy. So I think that, for me, it's a way to grapple with these questions. Christopher Cozier, an artist from the island of Trinidad, Tobago, is used to environmental extremes. He created a short video animation depicting a group of people making their way through deep water. 
Only their heads and the waves that surround them are visible. It looks like music notes. It looks like people rowing. It looks like the kind of turbulence of people being in water. And they almost seem real because when the wood crosses behind their eyes, they look like they're blinking. People coming from places like myself are always on the move. You know, the rest of the planet is always on the move. (laughs) Wars, slavery, you know, indentureship, all kinds of systems that transplant people. And then they have to kind of either keep moving or maybe try to convert that location into something meaningful to them. Even though some people are arguing that this situation will cause people to move, what I've been thinking about is that people have always been moving. <laughs> people have always been yeah, moving. For different reasons in different parts of the Climate world. Climate change is just one of them. It's just the latest, more kind of overriding one. But And then, so is it that we are talking to people and saying, hey, you have to move, or people who've been on the move all along. It's not that there's a divestment in location. It's that they've always been, you know, displaced and searching. Los Angeles-based artist Mick LaRusso created a microscope with an inverted web camera. He invites me to watch the short video of a water sample he collected on the first day of his residency. That was one of the most interesting samples I found while on the island. It has all of these organisms rushing around. In one drop? That's a whole world. What will you do with what you learned here? One of the ideas I had just a few days ago is this concept of creating islands with mangroves over what land is going to be sunk. So planting mangroves with these oysters that also accumulate this new land, which would also act as a kind of biosensor. It's a plan for the future Mm -hmm. proposal. Yeah, And it's inspired by islands that are already forming out in the sound. It's just such a privilege to be able to work locally, to be thinking about this issue in a place that's being very directly affected by the rising waters. Rachel Armstrong teaches living architecture at Newcastle University in England. On Captiva, her thinking about climate change takes a spiritual turn. What are you showing me, Rachel? So I'm showing you a witch bottle which I made as a charm for the land. There are three themes for the three witch bottles that I've installed in the property. And this one is, as you can see with the colours here, a charm for water. This is a protective spell for the Rauschenberg legacy and for the vision that he has of art and you know, bringing together people through ecology. Well, I've put Captiva soil in there, see, the grey soil and the shells and then the symbolism of the water. So it's trying to capture the things that we want to preserve. And then you put a purifier in there. So that would be things like salt or honey or something that would catch light. What motivated you to turn to what I would consider a spiritual practice? Yeah, essentially I have a background in science and one of the things that I am very careful to preserve in the work that I do is not to reduce nature into a set of soluble 
problems. So how do we maintain the wonder, the enchantment, the creativity of a material realm without just itemizing it into a set of disarticulated parts? And so really I was looking for knowledge forms and practices that could help me you know, think about the, let's say, very scientific and engineering and architectural work that I do and not lose that peculiar quality that our relationship with the natural world has. For the past couple of years, Buster Simpson, a public artist based in Seattle, Washington, has organized the Rising Water Confab. Tell me what this experience has meant for your personal practice. It's really given me the time to think about this big, profound issue. We do like to be in our laboratory doing our pure research, but sometimes it's, it's time to take it out. I'm hoping the amalgamation of all the documents and uh, what we've learned for the last two years will feed the foundation and this residency's program and thinking about the next steps. What could teach could serve as an example for the rest of the South Florida? I'm Kathy Bird. This episode of Fresh Art International features participants in a special Rauschenberg residency program on the island of Captiva at the edge of Florida's west coast. While most artist residencies offer space and time for individuals to work independently, for this confab, Participants explore the realities of sea level rise in an endangered coastal environment. Residents seem to realize that the time has come to contemplate the inevitability of sea level rise and consider how to respond gracefully. If you live in a place that's disappearing, meaning you'll no longer be able to live there in the near future, please contact Amy Balkin at registrar at sinkingandmelting.com. Visit freshartinternational.com to see photos of my visit to the residency and learn about the program. Listen to other episodes and subscribe to the full series on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more conversations. So you might be wondering what happened next after my conversations at the Rauschenberg Residency. Well, last week I called Ann Brady, the director, to ask her for the latest news. How will the residency respond to the very real impacts of climate change on the island? What will happen if, say, the bay side of the residency is underwater? The answer, she says, is that the residency is taking steps to prepare for the future. They're commissioning an architectural firm to create a land use and climate response plan for the property. In 2017, they're convening a charrette that will engage people in assessing the options and proposing next steps. The residency will be reaching out to connect with others on the island, too, because, as Anne pointed out, whatever happens on this island happens to everyone. I'm Kathy Bird. I want to thank you for joining us today on the Fresh Art International Show We're broadcasting live from Jolt Radio, Miami, Florida. Our next guest is artist Cheryl Oring. She's calling in from Greensboro, North Carolina. An artist with a background in journalism, she uses tools typically employed by journalists in her art. That is, the camera, the typewriter, 
the pen, the interview, and the archive. Cheryl creates installations and performances, artist books, and internet-based works. In New York, Chicago, Berlin, Dubai, Brazil, St. Petersburg, Russia, and she's editor of a new book based on a decade of her performance project, I wish to say, and that's what we're talking about today. She's about to call in now. Hello, Cheryl. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Great to hear your voice after all these years. I know, likewise. It's funny, this project, I wish to say, brought us together in 2004. It did. It's amazing. (laughs) I know. I met Cheryl when I was director of the gallery at Georgia State University School of Art and Design in Atlanta. And we brought, I wish to say, to downtown Atlanta. And ironically or not, Cheryl, that was October of a presidential election year. And here we are again. It's amazing, isn't it? It really is. We've been through a lot together and apart since then. Yeah. And, you know, Kathy, so at that time, I was sort of moved to start this project, partly in response to what was happening with the second George W. Bush re-election campaign and trying to understand what people at that point in time thought about politics. And this year, it feels even more urgent, I guess, to be doing this work. So even 12 years later, there's still an urgency to it. I completely agree, and that's why I was thrilled when I read about your book and found this opportunity to share it with everybody uh, that's listening to our show. Well, let's talk about, I wish to say, first off, and just kind of deconstruct it. It's a performance you've been enacting with multiple players for more than a decade. That's right. So I typically, it started with uh, just me going out on the street in various cities around the country. I had a typewriter a manual typewriter, and I got dressed up in sort of 1960s-era office clothing and just asked people if they'd like to send a letter to the president. And then I typed them up on little four-by-six cards. It was actually a postcard, not really a letter. And people could say whatever they wanted to say. I would type it up. Um, I use carbon paper so that I have a copy for my archive, and then the original gets sent off to the White House. Wow. And I'm thinking, considering the we have this presidential candidate, the first in our history as a woman, and the fact Mm -hmm. that you chose uh, to dress and perform as a secretary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting connections, right? And when I, one other thing that I'd like to, well, a couple things I'd like to mention. One was my grandmother is actually one of the inspirations for this whole project. So she was a secretary, And she was actually a secretary at the political science department at the University of Maryland for many years. And whenever I got to visit her, I was allowed to go into her closet and get dressed up and play with all her clothes and jewelry. And so that was definitely one of the beginnings of this project. And I see the secretary as a very powerful character. Um, Maybe not what everybody thinks, but I definitely see the secretary as as, as having a lot of power. The other thing that's sort of interesting, people have asked me before if I've ever sent one of my own letters to the president, and the only time I did was way back in 2004, and I wrote to a mythical um, female candidate talking about how when I was growing up, Geraldine Ferraro was on the ticket as vice presidential candidate, and you know, I was hoping that one day we'd see a woman in the White House. So things have changed a little bit. I guess so. How many mm-hmm. postcards have been sent to the White House since that first one? By the end of this year, it will be around 3,000. 
Wow. And where are you taking the performance this ne next few weeks? Or you have you were just performing at Creative Time, right? That's right. I was typing for two days up in Washington, D.C. at the Creative Time Summit. It was quite an experience. It was, you know, often I'll set up and type for two hours, which might not sound that long, but when you're sitting there taking dictation and listening to everything people have to say, you take in a lot of emotion, and by the end of two hours, it's, it's, it's quite a feat. But the other day on Sunday, I couldn't stop. People were there. They wanted to keep um, going, and so I think I typed for maybe three and a half or four hours. It was a long event on Sunday. And before that, I was in New York, and before that, I was in New Jersey at Monmouth University. Um, I've been up at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. I've been out in Boulder, Colorado, at the University of Colorado. And then now I'm getting ready for a bunch of North Carolina shows. Um, I'm going to be at the Weatherspoon Art Museum in Greensboro, North Carolina, and at SICA in Winston-Salem, and over at Cam Rally. So a bunch of... Um, different organizations and places around the state of North Carolina are coming up. I was just thinking that it'd be great to share maybe one of the poignant messages that you just recorded. Of course. And I, I pulled out a few. It's going to be hard to choose one. Um, I think I, I'm going to read an excerpt from, it's kind of a long message, but I'm going to read one that almost brought me to tears as I was typing it. It was so powerful. It was from a student in New Jersey. And he said, not everybody can afford higher education. There are thousands of people out there who could change the outcome of this world by just receiving one chance. And that was from Jordan Clark in New Jersey. And one more then. I'm inspired just listening. <laughs> you know, this one, I pulled this one out. It was sort of maybe a quintessential message from, the, from all of the typing I've done in the last month or two. Um, the card is also from a student, from Kaylee Nerney at Catholic University in Washington. She said, I hope I'm not talking to Donald Trump. As awful as this election year has been, I think it has, it has gotten a lot of young people really interested in following the news. I think there's a lot of frustration, so there's going to be a big expectation for change, which I hope you can provide, because we will all be watching. And that's the truth. I'm, I, I think that's a, a population of voters that we're all interested in seeing uh, become active this time, maybe some of them for the first time. Right. I think that for young people, what I'm hearing a lot, because I've been doing a lot of campus shows, a lot of university shows, people are very disgusted with the language that's being used and very disappointed in their leaders. And a lot of them are first-time voters and just saying, you know, what is going on here? They're very incredulous at the type of conversations that are being had. Um, you know, the other, I, I want to read one other short one. I was oh, just please. at my daughter's school, which is an elementary school here in North Carolina. And one of the kids said, Dear next president, I wish that the presidents didn't fight each other, and I wish we'd have some peace and nice words. That's from a seven-year-old. And I think, you know, everybody's hearing it and just kind of not knowing what to make of it. And I think that we're going to have quite a period of recovery afterwards, no matter who's elected. The, the type of election campaign season that this has been has been very disturbing and I think will cause some deep um, wounds to the country. So we'll have a lot, to, a lot of work to do. Yeah, I was just reading about the Canadian campaign to make us feel better, your, the Your Great America campaign. I was... I don't know if you've heard about it, but they're sending a lot of positive messages our way from across the border. And I thought oh, well, that was pretty funny. 
<laughs> I hope that helps. Yeah, I hope so too. But the greatest news we have right now that I want to talk about before we say goodbye, of course, is this amazing new book, Activating Democracy. Okay. And you're the editor. That's right. Thanks. It's been a labor of love and kind of, in a way, a 12-year uh, process. So the book came out last week, um, and I'm, I'm quite excited by the different writers who, who contributed to the book and the ideas that they're bringing to the conversation about how we can basically activate democracy through art. And maybe a couple of examples of the essays. I know one that I read that I was very impressed with, and um, she was describing the experience of dressing in the vintage clothes and the typing and how how uh, vital it felt to be doing that. Right, right. I believe that was Corey Zenko. Who's, it was. Um, Corey's an art historian, and she also served as one of my typists in one of the larger versions of the event, which I guess I hadn't um, mentioned either, which is that the, the project has sort of grown, and so now often it's not just me typing. Um, the year Corey joined the typing crew, we were in Charlotte, North Carolina for the Democratic National Convention mm-hmm. back in 2012, and we had five typists. Now, this spring I went out with, um, there must have been about 60 typists, including a busload of students from North Carolina who went to New York to type at Bryant Park um, during the Penn World Voices Festival in April. So it's growing. The essay was gorgeous that Corey wrote. It really was. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Mm-hmm. I think it was really fabulous. And the other, maybe the concluding essay, also by Radhika Subramanian, I found very, very moving. She writes about the power of small acts. And it was very fitting for the, for this book because, you know, this this project you know it is kind of small in some way it's not the scale of it is not it's not very it's not a spectacle or um i don't know it's a very quiet work in some ways and and i think the power has come over time and radica's essay talks about that and the way that doing small things through art can actually make a difference and i like that essay quite a bit as well yeah well this book is available through the university of chicago that's right Press and uh, it's available to order or pick up various places that sell fabulous books about art. I imagine. Yes, it should be available. It's, all, it's online through University of Chicago Press and through all the normal book ordering sources. And what do you hope this book will? Who do you hope reads this book, sees and enjoys and appreciates what the effort that you've put to create this publication? Well, thanks, Kathy. I think first and foremost, I really hope that it will be an inspiration for young artists and and probably for students as well, so that as they think about the type of art that they might be interested in making, they may think of works that would also um, engage the political. Well, I hope so, too, and I, I think it's fabulous that we found this chance to talk and share Activating Democracy with our audience. Thanks for calling in, Cheryl. Oh, thanks for having me, Kathy. I appreciate it. I'm Kathy Bird. Thank you for joining us on Fresh Art International. We've been broadcasting live from joltradio.org in Miami, Florida. Our next guests are going to be joining me in the studio in a few minutes. Stephanie Sherman, based in San Diego, California. Miami-based artist Layden Rodriguez-Casanova and Naomi Fisher. They're here because of Common Field. That is a national network of visual artist organizations that implement experimental projects and programs in communities across the U.S. Hello, and welcome to Fresh Art International. Hi there. Thanks. Thanks for having us. 
I want to introduce my guests, and I'll let you hear their voice as I introduce them so you'll recognize them when we talk. Stephanie Sherman, you're co-director of the Common Field Network. And uh, you're a PhD candidate in art and design theory and practice at the University of California, San Diego. Also. Yes, wow. <laughs> that's, a big, that's a big project, and you still have time to organize these people across the U.S., so I'm looking forward to talking to you more about this. Great, thanks. I realized when I was reading Stephanie's bio that uh, she has multiple connections with Cheryl Oring, who was just on our show, and she founded this project called Elsewhere in Greensboro, a living museum and residency program set in a former thrift store. And I, I want to get there. It sounds awesome. It's still, still happening. Please come over. Yes, it's still going. We're 14 years old. And George Sheard, my co-founder and co-director, will be down here this weekend at the convening. Well, I look forward to meeting him. Great. Layden Rodriguez Casanova is a Miami-based artist who was born in Cuba. And welcome, Layden. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're the co-director of an alternative art space called Dimensions Variable, a.k.a. DV. Uh, indeed. Yes, and I know in the time I've known you, I know that uh, Dimensions Variable has had various venues throughout the city, and I know you have a, a an exciting moment coming up, opening a, a home space, I guess, at Miami-Dade College downtown Miami. Yes, we're really excited about it. Uh, we've been jumping around for a while now, and uh, this is really uh, an amazing opportunity to have our new space donated by uh, uh, Miami-Dade College. Uh, it'll give us an opportunity to kind of uh, do some really great programming in this space for a while. Cool. I'm, I'm excited to join you there for the celebration. Naomi Fisher. I've met Naomi through various uh, art projects that she's been involved in, and I was Really interested to read that your daughter of a botanist. Yep, my dad worked at Fairchild Tropical Gardens for most of my life, so that was a really wonderful experience growing up. And you're the founder of the Bass Fisher Invitational, which has been ha it's oh, 12 years now, right? 2004, can you believe it? I know, it's really shocking that it's been so long, but I'm so happy that it's still going and going strong. We became a 501c3 a little over a year ago. We're the first wage-certified space in Florida. We've been doing a lot to really advocate for artists in the community. Well, I'm excited to have you three here with me today and share this common field uh, project with our listeners and what what brings them here is that Common Field has come to Miami. And I'd love for Stephanie to just tell us where did Common Field, where does this idea come from? Sure. So for Common Field itself. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So the idea for Common Field emerged from a number of places. There's a history of kind of bringing artist organizers together, um, the National Alliance of Artist Organizations that kind of closed in the late 90s, the Warhol Initiative, which was bringing together lots of spaces. Um, but really what happened was in 2001, or I'm um, sorry, 2011, Three Walls in Chicago put on a conference called Hand and Glove. And the last day of that conference, a bunch of organizers got together and said, we need to have a more formal way to keep this going. This can't just be a one-time thing. And so a group of founders out of um, that kind of group that had been brainstorming got together and started thinking through how this could be. 
um, there was a retreat at Oxbow and with brought together 20 founding members to kind of brainstorm the network and as part of that the convenings would kind of evolve and move to different local spaces and connect with organizers in those communities and mobilize them to kind of present and have national and local conversations um, together. So Common Field launched officially last year at our convening in Minneapolis. Um, and since that time, we have over 500 members, which is incredible. That is incredible. And I, I think it's completely awesome that two people here today, Na uh, Layden and Naomi, were instrumental in bringing the convening, the second one here, and you've organized an amazing, from what I can tell, from the program, it's going to be just an awesome program for four days about to take place at the Little Haiti Cultural Center. I want to hear from you two why you think it was important to bring this convening to Miami. Yeah. Um, well, for me, my introduction was going to the Common Field convening in New Orleans, which I guess was... The second convening, actually, um, and I went to that with Chris Cook, who at the time was the director of Cannonball. And it was really Chris's idea to campaign for Miami to be a location for the convening to happen. At that point, it was still hand in glove. And at that point, I was like working with him to, to do that. Um, and, you know, one of the interesting thing about the kind of organization that's usually a member of Common Field is they're small scale, they're flexible, they're artist run, they're nonprofit, whether in the 501c3 sense or usually the just um, labor of love sense. So, you know, these all these platforms are very flexible. So at a point in working towards bringing it here, um, Chris moved to a new position. And at that point, we decided to kind of expand the base of who's bringing it here and that's when um, Dimensions Variable and Locus Projects also became involved, as well as BFI and Cannonball. And I think that's just made it so much richer because all our organizations are constantly shifting. We need each other. We need a community both locally and nationally to learn from, to grow with, and really expand our knowledge and best practices. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, it's I think it's been really great. Um, we we were really honored uh, when you know. Uh, uh, it was uh, Jean Moreno who spoke with us about the project um, and uh, and asked us to come on board. And in a second, we we uh, agreed uh, that uh, it was really important to have the convening come down to Miami, uh, just because of uh, all of the issues that uh, were being talked about in the convening and in, in past convenings. Uh, we thought it would be important for uh, for uh, everyone in Miami to come together and discuss about uh, all these different issues. Um, I think it, one of the really amazing things that has happened in working on uh, bringing the convening here is how, um, in a sense, it's it's kind of made our community come together uh, even closer um, because we've you know invited a lot of members from the community to come and convene at uh, Locus Projects to have a uh, a pre-convening uh, community meeting and and talk about uh, what issues uh, were important to the community and what issues we should um, we should discuss in this uh, upcoming convening. So that that's been really uh, amazing to to have happen. Well, the organizing theme I read is uh, it's a focus on arts organizing in a time of accelerated capitalism. We're in hyper, hyper, hyper mode. Everything is um, hyper luxury, hyper speed, hyperstition, all these kinds of things. So Not just in Miami, in the world, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. I think, well, Miami maybe feels it a little bit more intensely because it's... Um, 
you know, not, maybe going to be here a little less long than everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so you were listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, just part of how to exist in a nonprofit system has to just look at the fact of the larger structure that we're in. And having this convening located in Miami, I think that's one of the big things that so much of our knowledge of contemporary art comes from the city's transformation through Art Basel. And Art Basel is the marketplace of contemporary art. And it's overshadowed in many ways the true ecosystem of the arts and how there's so many levels of existing in that world, different ways to make art, different ways to live art. And we really wanted to shine a spotlight on that to, you know, have a community that's already so enlightened about the importance of contemporary art, but primarily from the marketplace and really see the more expansive systems in different ways that you can support artists, different ways you can support the arts just through attending, through you know, there's just so many ways to participate that are beyond um, Art Basel. I think, uh, yeah, the importance of uh, holding the convening here, uh, touching on one of the things that Naomi said, in terms of Miami uh, being known or, or, or becoming popular as this destination for art, but pretty much centered around uh, collecting and the market. And, uh, you know, so many of our contemporaries um, understand that the market is, you know, a small part of what it is uh, to... Uh, to, to make artwork and al almost the, the idea of practicing art is very separate from uh, the market and so we're interested in looking at all these different ideas um, and all of these different scenarios of existing uh, as practicing artists, as organizing artists, as independent artists um, and, and, and live out a sustainable uh, uh, existence in terms of you know making one's work. Uh, in a way that that is feasible um, for the long haul, um, and uh, you know, we just feel that, at least for us, we've talked a lot about um, how can you know how can we look at nonprofit structures, how can we look at market structures, and possibly deconstruct all of them and figure out something that's different. Um, you know, we're living in an age where technology is changing so much. Every industry is being pretty much changed and affected by technology. And Miami is this young city that is, you know, developing, as we're talking about, very quickly. Well, we're, we're, we kind of have this opportunity to kind of rethink the way that uh, the art ecosystem works and grows. I mean, art is currently being changed by technology. Uh, it's starting, even though so many other industries are, are being changed already. Um, we really have a great opportunity to discuss and talk about how, you know, is the, is the nonprofit the best model? Is, you know, uh, uh, the market the only model? Or how can we combine and mis mix and match and come up with something different or, you know, in order to survive? Right. I can empathize with that, of course, from my own platform, having established this five years ago as a niche podcast and have people ask me still, how can you have an podcast, an audio podcast about art. Mm -hmm. But we all know that there's so many ideas and issues and energies and materials, histories behind art that we need to talk about. And often you were talking about separating com commerce from the work and the work from the process. And the same thing, we need these conversations as much as we need the art. And we need... Uh, the art as much as we need communities and we need culture to make our com communities richer. So that's why Common Field is, you know, it's a perfect 
storm in a way hopefully this week of of what the possibilities are yeah that's the idea i mean i think we want to think through not only the possibilities of art together but the alternative system together i think a lot of us are kind of dreaming on that level and then scheming in a really practical way about like how to go day to day and those two things in tandem make for really really rich and exciting energy um that we can evolve beyond just the weekend so yeah i was thinking it's really important to let people know that are in miami or headed this way that would like to participate what actually will take place at this convening i read panels breakout skill shares tours and celebrations maybe we could highlight a few of those to kind of entice people to join you you well, wanna? Sure. There's the way that we structured the convening. Um, Thursday night, we're having a keynote by Edward de Valkyrie, and um, and then what will happen on Friday? The, I guess Thursday's the signing in and and hearing from Edward, yeah, which will be awesome. He's an amazing speaker. And there's performances yeah. and food, and it'll be sort of like a. a social and time for everybody to connect and then on Friday and Saturday there's two panels each day followed by breakout sessions and there's some sign-up workshops so people that want to kind of go in deep on a topic there's lightning talks so people attendees at the convening can sign up to present a quick presentation on their projects and what they're working on um, yeah I mean for example on uh, on Saturday uh, you know, every every panel sort of is followed by a series of breakouts to, to further drill down into each subject matter. Um, mm -hmm. One of the uh, talks that, uh, or the or the uh, afternoon panels that uh, we we had the pleasure to, to work on was um, uh, basically talking about uh, institutions in transition, um, and we kind of approached this this idea not only as institutions that have gone through this major growth or transition, but also uh, the idea of institutions in transition to, to n new models, new way of beings, new ideas. And mm -hmm. so we invited all of these different speakers that had been at institutions that had gone through a huge transition, but also are at institutions that operate in a very different way, uh, just to share their, their experiences. Right, and about your session. Maybe yeah. we'll hear about yours, Naomi. Yeah, Friday at 9.30 a.m., I'm moderating um, one of the main panels that's really going to be talking about existing within accelerated capitalism again. And I'm moderating it, and the panelists are going to be um, Marco Rosso, who's one of the founding members of DIS, an artist collective in New York that primarily operates as an online platform. <clears throat> But also um, our artists, they were in the last New Museum Triennial, they were in the recent new photography show at MoMA, and they curated the most recent Berlin Biennial. So they were also wearing many hats and are kind of pioneers of camouflaging what they're doing under the system of advertising aesthetics and kind of really looking like the capitalist structures while critiquing it. So they're kind of an interesting platform to really talk about that. And then we have two artists, Annika Coleman and Christopher Colindran Thomas. Annika's based in Berlin and is also a curator. Um, she and Christopher are actually doing the next BFI show, which opens this Sunday. I hope you guys can come. 
for the, um, a faux company they do called Brace Brace, which makes luxury flotation gear for when the sea level rises. And uh, Christopher's pro- one of Christopher's project was in the Guangzhou Biennial and the Berlin Biennial called New Elam, which is about envisioning new ways of living as artists and collective living space, so most modeled after Airbnb, but with ownership. And uh, uh, Miami's own Jean Moreno will also be on that panel, who's written... Um, extensively on many subjects, including accelerated capitalism and new education platforms. And each of us will be doing breakout sessions afterwards with different related topics. I think this is pretty cool because we we talk about Miami bringing the world here for Art Basel, but there's an international community here all year long. Yeah. And people coming and going for just this sort of program that is being instigated by our experimental spaces and our thought leaders in art, which I think is really critical for people to know there's a rich cultural life here year-round, and it's great that people will be coming to experience that. I'm actually part of one of the workshops myself with Svetlana Mencheva because of my experience with art censorship as a curator. So that's, I believe, Friday afternoon, and um, so it's going to be really interesting for me to, to be sharing now and then experiencing it as a participant, too. And I look forward to doing more recording on, on site. Yeah, we'd, we'd yeah, do some on site, and we'd love to hear you report back on reflections and kind of what you learned in there. There's only a few more spots, I think. <laughs> it's getting very popular. <laughs> that session? Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's-, it's because I'm on it. just kidding Svetlana and I worked together when I did a censorship exhibition of an exhibition at Georgia State University about the history of contemporary art censorship and she was one of the people that I consulted uh, and wrote one of the essays for the book so it's going to be great to be part of it you're right yeah well what's amazing about Common Field is that we actually see across the country more and more people are getting to know one another in person and being connected in a really accelerated way. I think we're reaching kind of a exciting threshold of people all over being super connected and that there's a lot of power in that. There is. So tell me who's coming. What 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 who who's coming to Miami for this? Are there people coming from out, out away or is, are you yeah, if you there's we've actually been publishing a list of the attendees because that was super. Yeah, so if you go to convening.commonfield.org, you can under people, you can not only see all the presenters and organizers, but all the people who just bought a ticket and are showing up. And that was something that we thought it was really important to make everybody who comes is part of this conversation and a participant. Um, we feel like there's we're no longer an age where we need p- performers and audiences that every we're really here to convene and work through our challenges and opportunities together. Yes, listeners, how many conferences and gatherings have you been to and wished afterwards you had a list of the people you met because the cards have vanished <laughs> and you would love to be able to reconnect. So what a great idea. I hope everyone's listening who <laughs> well mad props to Layden for all of his work um, putting the website together and I think part of what's been really exciting about this year's convening is evolving and learning right as common field we're also learning each year how to make a truly exceptional convening in a different era you know of what can we do with the technologies we have and the times where we're in to really make these gatherings super special and and, uh, maximize them. 
So you said there are 500 members of the organization, but you don't have to be a member to come to this convening whatsoever. No, not at all. You, the tickets are $125 for members and $150 for non-members, uh, but it does include two breakfasts, two lunches, two <laughs> art parties. Here's the pitch. <laughs> Yeah, so, but um, we really encourage people to sign up for a common field membership. It, it um, you know, is getting into As individuals network. or organizations or temporary projects, any level of engagement in exactly. visual arts. Exactly. Um, and it's self-nominating, so kind of you can read our description and decide if it's for you and if you want to be a part, but it, you're not represented in the description, just send us a little Facebook message and let us know. <laughs> Is there anything really big that you're thinking you hope comes out of this experience? It's almost too much to describe quickly. I feel like, you know, what we've talked about in terms of just, I think what Stephanie said about meeting people face-to-face -face from across the country in accelerated ways is, like, really crucial because we're not alone. And we're, there's so many people who are really trying to make a difference within the arts. And sometimes it can just feel like a struggle. And when you can share experiences and learn from each other and grow with each other, that's really like the most incredible thing. As you're planning and thinking from the past convenings, how have the issues changed? How have they shifted through the years besides the technology that you mentioned, Leighton? What do you think? Um, well, I don't know. I think, I think uh, obviously we're, we're in this you know, new era with technology, but I think a lot of the issues that a lot of uh, us will be talking about, I think have been around for a while. At the end of the day, it's how to continue uh, an independent practice and an experimental practice and run experimental spaces and have these spaces survive and continue to, you know, continue to push ideas, which is the most important thing, uh, push uh, experimental ideas forward. I mean, you know, if you look back through history, you have, uh, you know, artists at the helm of, of founding a lot of spaces that literally were responsible for giving, you know, some of uh, the most incredible artists first opportunities to experiment and to do new things. And uh, you can see samples of those all over. Um, and, uh, and I think that, that, that those, those themes are, are always present, I think. Yeah, what, what we hear and see a lot of, I don't know how different it is or how, how change this is but what we do know about our current moment is the politics involved and the way that those politics are kind of intensifying what we feel like the urgency of of our current moment is perhaps and also how to negotiate the shifts in how we want to address one another how we want to talk to and on behalf of and with one another so these are all kind of the the level of political voice both on the level of you know, the group to the level of the nation, to the level of the globe, and, you know, how we're going to sustain into the future. Those are those all seem really urgent in a way that I know when I started an art space in 2003, it was all about re um, reminiscing about some kind of economic heyday that we never experienced, because it was <laughs> right after the uh, one of many busts um, that we're all part of. So. We never had that kind of luxury of whatever that was, but I think there certainly wasn't the same kind of conversations about um, the social, political, and issues on at the forefront in, in such an intensive way. Yeah, because I think, you know, it's easy to look at things and like the barrier is money, right? But it's not just that. And there's so many like intersectional issues, whether it's gender, class, 
race. Like there's so many other barriers that we're constantly struggling through and really having to have serious conversations about. And I think a lot of that is getting addressed in this convening as well. And we're really trying to put every conversation on the table. Sounds good. Is there anything else you're thinking of that you want to be sure people know about? How do listeners find out more about Common Field? Yeah, sure. So you can go to the the convening website again is convening.commonfield.org. And then Common Field website is commonfield.org. And we also have a really active Facebook group. We have um, an Instagram called Commongram, which we're actually feeding collective photos from all sorts of groups around the country. So it's an exciting way to connect and see what's going on. So for people that aren't able to come, are you doing any live streaming or will there be a way to participate from afar? Yeah, definitely. We are li- we're live streaming the panels that we can because now that there's a bunch of breakouts, but you'll be able to watch via the convening.commonfield.org on the media section of the site. There's a, a bunch of articles that have been co-published by the Miami Rail and the and Temporary Art Review. And this has been a really incredible ins- um series of thinkings of different essays around the convening theme. So those are already, I think there are six out of the eight articles out already. So people can read those and then jump into the Facebook, into our Twitter, into our Instagram, become you know part of that dialogue. So the website will be evergreen. It'll be there as a resource after the convening. Yeah, we're, we're, we also kind of will put together a kind of package and a publication. We'll publish all the videos on Vimeo, and then we'll put together some content both from what happened, but also reflective content. So we have we have an open note system, so anybody who's a member can log into our Google Drive and be taking notes throughout the convening, which we'll then use to compile and kind of build a really nice synopsis for people who couldn't participate or even those who did to share with others in their community about what they learned and what was you know what was challenging about the conversations we had over the weekend yeah as organizers we were able to look at the last convening at Minneapolis's notes and really take participants feedback into account as we were planning this year's convening so it's all all a great archive it's a great resource and we'll just move things forward yeah it's excellent well I really appreciate you were here to join me today and uh, look forward to seeing what happens next with Common Field, which will be taking place at the Little Haiti Cultural Center in Miami. And you can find out more on convening.commonfield.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Kathy Bird. This is the Fresh Art International Show. Join us next time for more contemporary art talk on Jolt Radio, Miami.